Right, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse number 14. Ephesians 5 and verse 14. And we'll spend a little bit of time here in Ephesians 5, a little bit in chapter 6. Try to give you the background of those passages. And then we're going to bounce around a little bit as well in the Bible today. I'd like to preach to you for the next few minutes a sermon called Making the Most of Every Minute. Making the Most of Every Minute. In verse 14, Paul says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is so if you would bow your heads with me let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue father thank you this morning what wonderful songs we've been able to sing and Lord thank you for being such a wonderful God that we're able to worship thank you for the personal relationship you've made possible through your son through him dying in our place and Lord, may we never take that for granted. May we love you now, Lord. May we not put it off till tomorrow, but now. May we be able to say, Lord Jesus, now. If ever I loved you, it's now. Lord, help us to make the most of every minute. Even this sermon, Lord, would you make the most of it? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul is addressing a group of Christians, some of which had what we would call backslid. And they were hanging out with the wrong company. You can see in verse 11... He said, have no fellowship with the, <clears throat> I'm sorry, unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So they were hanging out with the wrong friends. And in verse 14, <clears throat> he says, awake thou that sleepest. He is addressing a Christian who has, quote unquote, fallen asleep on the job. They are children of the day, children of the light, but they are sleeping, <clears throat> I'm sorry, as if, they are one of the children of the night. So he says, awake thou that sleepest. Another way of saying this is quit your backsliding. Get right with God. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. So they're hanging out with people that are spiritually dead, not born again. And he says, Christ shall give thee light. Now how can this happen? Well, a few different ways. Jesus himself is the light. Isn't that right? He said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness and so forth. So by us removing ourselves from bad company and bad habits and so forth, we are going to experience a closer and more real fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. His light will shine forth in our hearts, in our lives. You'll feel that. Each day, each moment will be a little brighter. And from the looks of it, some of you could use that. Christ will give you light. He says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly. The word circumspectly means to be careful or to be complete or even to be exact. It is to look at a thing and not just flippantly go about it, but actually consider everything involved and make an educated and proper decision on how to handle whatever that particular thing is. At the end of verse 15, he says, not as fools, but as wise. One of the key, let's call it, uh, indicators of wisdom is that you're able to see the big picture. 
A fool says, I don't care what all the ins and outs are. I don't care what's going to happen. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. A wise man thinks it through and says, now wait a minute. If I do this, that might happen and that's not the right outcome. And he thinks it through. He takes the necessary time to make a good decision. That's part of being circumspect, to be careful, complete, and get it exactly right. Can I tell you what circumspectly doesn't mean? It doesn't mean to be stressed and worried and obsessively compulsive about every decision. I don't, now, I'm saying that, the reason I'm smiling is because, wow, do I feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> I know myself, I tend to overthink things. If I say this in the sermon, how is that person going to receive it? And will they like it? And will they understand it? And on I go, all night my mind is running. It's very difficult to shut that off and say, now I have thought about it as much as I need to. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. Is it easy to balance being complete and taking it too far? Yeah, it's... It's difficult to balance that, right? It's not an easy thing. But Paul says, be wise, be careful, but he doesn't say get stressed out about it. That's not going to help you in verse 16, redeem the time. You won't be making the most of every minute if you're constantly worried about the next one. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days are evil. What's, that's a very broad statement. What, what's he getting at? You're going to have some bad days. Now, you don't really need the Bible to tell you that. If you've been alive very long, you know that's going to happen, right? In chapter 6 and verse 13, if you want to let your eyes skip over there, in chapter 6 and 13, Paul says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Say, so what's that evil day? Any time one of your spiritual enemies comes after you, the world, the flesh, the devil, any time circumstances happen in your life that are beyond your control, things, listen, you could not plan for. Have, did you have some of those this week? Problems pop up you weren't planning for, right? You, you couldn't plan for it, but listen, you can be ready for it. What do you mean, preacher? You don't know what's going to happen, so you can't plan for that specifically, but you can be ready because when you wake up every morning, you put on the whole armor of God, and now whatever comes your way, whichever fiery dart, verse 16, whichever fiery dart the wicked one throws at you, you are ready and prepared to deal with it. You don't need to stress out and worry each minute about what the wicked one might do. You don't need to panic and say, oh dear, today might be a bad day. Yeah, it might be. You, you might have some horrible news come your way this week. You might have some heartbreak heading your way. You might have to deal with some problems you never thought you would have to deal with. That means, now, now does that mean we sit and cower in fear of what might happen? No, we need to get busy making the most of every minute we do have now so that when the unforeseen things begin to happen, right, those things are going to take up our time whether we like it or not. So while you have an opportunity to do something with the minute you have, get busy doing it. Make the most of this minute right now. In verse number 17, chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, Wherefore, 
Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How do we make the most of every minute? We need to answer this question, what does God want me to do with every minute? How does God want me to use the days that I do have? I, I, I thought about it as I was, as we were singing. I think a lot of you will be familiar with this verse. You remember in Psalm 90, it's actually Moses who wrote Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, Moses says, The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they're fourscore years, and so forth. You remember that? He says, We have seventy years, and if we're strong, we get eighty years. Remember that passage? A few verses later, Psalm 90, verse number 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What's Moses' point? You don't have a limitless number of days, so you better make the most of the ones you got. Let me number my days and then apply my heart to wisdom and say, okay, let me get the most out of this, out of this particular moment. How do I get the most out of it? Not by doing everything I feel like doing. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But I, I believe Paul's on to something in Ephesians 5 and 17. He says, if you don't want to be unwise, if you want to approach life with wisdom, you find out what God wants you to do with each part of your life and do that. Enjoy it the way God intended it to be enjoyed and then you're making the most of every minute. Now, let me be quick to point this out because some of you might, might be tempted to just tune me out from this point further because you think, oh boy, here he comes. This is going to be a sermon about how I need to read my Bible and pray all day and witness to everybody, and that's all I get to do for the rest of my life. I'm never allowed to go on vacation. I can't enjoy anything that I, I'll never be able to watch rugby again. All my cricket days are over. Thank you. You're welcome. And, 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 you're, and you get a little nervous when you hear a sermon like this. You're thinking, you know, everything has to be according to the will of God, so... I never, ever get to enjoy anything except those things that I've just mentioned. I come to church, and then I go home, and I read the Bible, and I sing hymns. That's all I ever do. When God created Adam, what was the first thing he told Adam to do? Well, if you read it now, we, in Genesis 1, right, this may not have been the first thing out of God's mouth that he told Adam, but this is how we read it in Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he created male and female, and God blessed them. In Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. He said, there, now I've made you in my image, go make babies. <laughs> he didn't say, here's a Bible, sit around reading this all day, and if you're not reading the Bible, then you have to talk to me all day. Now, now, now I got some of your attention. Some of you are like, wait, ooh, wait a minute. This is a sermon I've never heard before. You mean to tell me I don't have to pray? And I don't, no, 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 no. Don't get too excited. <laughs> I'm just saying God is aware of the fact that there is more to our life than just reading a certain amount of pages in your Bible every day and spending a certain amount of time in the prayer closet. There's more to life than just coming to church faithfully every Sunday. There's more to life than that. There is. There is. And, and God was aware of that. God, of course, creates the Garden of Eden and he forms man of the dust of the ground, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and he puts him in the garden to do what? To dress it and to keep it. First job ever, a gardener. We, we look down on them today. Oh, Sam, I'm just a gardener. Just a gardener. 
I'm a gardener. <laughs> Adam was a gardener. What a great job. You know what God told Adam and Eve to do? He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. God knew that we'd have to have a job, we'd have to have families, we'd have to have government. We can't just sit around all day standing there with the Lord, conversing back and forth. God is aware of the fact that there, is going, there are going to be other parts to our life. You say, but now how does that tie in with Ephesians 5 and knowing what the will of the Lord is? Look at what Paul goes on to talk about in Ephesians 5. Verse 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, all right, guys, I'm going to tell you what the will of the Lord is. Now, he's speaking in very general terms, right? He's, he's painting with a broad brush, saying, guys, you've been out there, out there living in darkness. You need to put the bottle down. Amen. Put the bottle down. And instead of being filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Now, now, what was the problem? Verse number 11, they were fellowshipping with the wrong people. Do you see that in verse 11? So now Paul is saying, what's the will of God? Stop the bad fellowship and, and start paying attention to the relationships that need some work. First relationship, get right with God. What's the will of the Lord? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? To have a lecker close passionate, intimate fellowship with him where you can, in the cool of the day, have some time set aside for just you and the Lord, where the Lord has control in your heart, where he can direct you to do this or say that at any time that he desires. That falls under the heading of being filled with the Spirit. In verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Have you ever noticed that when somebody's filled with wine, usually music comes along with it? Have you ever noticed that? You go to any place where they, where they try to get you full of, full of wine, full of alcohol, there's loud music with it. Now, now, have you ever noticed somebody gets filled with the Spirit? There's a, there's a different kind of music that goes with that. Interesting how that works out. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice in verse 18, 19, and 20, you have the Spirit, the Lord, and God the Father mentioned. Paul says, stop fellowshipping with the wrong crowd. You need some fellowship with God. That's the will of the Lord. How do you make the most of your days? Make sure you got a strong relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. Verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Who's that? Look to your left, look to your right. That's verse 21. Your fellow church members. He says, look for ways that you can serve each other, to be a blessing to each other. How can I help you? What is going to be beneficial for you? How can I love you better? Do you see, he says, stop the bad relationships, get some good ones with God, with each other, within the local church. Next one, verse 22. Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. All the way down to verse 33, husbands and wives. Here's another relationship you need to work on, that marriage. Make sure it's strong. Make sure it's biblical. Make sure it's more than good. Make sure it's godly. How many wasted days? How many people have wasted their days struggling in their marriage? 
how many couples have wasted not months, but years fighting and fussing with each other? How many years of people's lives have been lost to the, to the horribleness of divorce? Make sure it's a biblical marriage. He goes on in chapter 6, children, obey your parents. Verse 4, fathers, provoke not your children. Now, not just the marriage, now the home in larger view, the family. Make sure you got a good relationship with your kids, that you're treating them right, that you're loving them the way you should. What's the will of the Lord? Stop the bad relationships. Concentrate on the good ones. In verse 5, servants. Chapter 6 and verse 5, servants, be obedient. Verse 9, ye masters, do the same things unto them. And then he addresses your job, the boss and employee scenario. What's the will of the Lord? There are some things in your life that you can't get around. They're going to be there. You got a job, you got a family, you got a wife, you got other church members. These things need to be there. You got to walk with God. You need to make sure those relationships are following a biblical pattern. And that's one way you're going to make the most of every minute in your day and in your life. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Show me, God, how to be a better husband. Show me, God, how to be a better father. So that when my child moves away, I don't look back with regret and say, I wish I would have done this and that. Seize the moment. Do something with the time you have now. You know, many times in life, um, my, my wife has been a wonderful blessing when it comes to the finances in our home. She's very frugal. She's a very good planner. And uh, she's conscience of when a coupon is available. How many of you use coupons? Anybody use coupons? One of you? Do we not have coupons in South Africa? Not so much. You do now. I brought coupons today. I brought some coupons. The way coupons work, since apparently you don't know how they work, um, <laughs> we don't use them, you take a coupon to a place and then they give you a, a certain percentage off. So if the price is 100 rand, you take in a coupon for 50% off, then you only pay 50%. You pay 50 rand. So you are getting more bang for your buck. You understand the principle of a coupon. I don't think it's that difficult, right? Um, how many of you would like a coupon for time? Wouldn't that be nice to, in, in any day to say, okay, I need an extra hour. Let me redeem. That's how we say it. I will redeem a coupon. I'll take it to the shop, I will redeem this coupon, and I will get more bang for my buck. Now, when we apply it to time, I will get more out of my minute. Wouldn't that be nice? Haven't you ever had one of those really good days where you wish it would never end? You've probably had some bad ones where you're like, <laughs> end it now, end it now. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to redeem a coupon every now and then and say, listen, I, I need some more time. I need to make more of the time that I have. So I've brought three different coupons today. Three different coupons. And we're going to go through three, three things. Now, I've, I've introduced you to Ephesians 6. I've given you the very broad view of Ephesians 5 and 6. And now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to focus on, verse, on chapter 5 and verse 16. We're going to talk real quickly about redeeming the time and how you can get more out of every minute. So we're going to redeem this first coupon here. If you take your Bibles, come to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. 
And I got a coupon here. Some of you might want to grab this after we're done. Hebrews 11 and verse 25. And here we're reading about Moses and how he walked by faith. And in Hebrews 11 and 25, the Bible says, and he uh, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You can see in verse 24. In 25, it says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses, he, he knew as one of the big shots in Egypt, and he was, wasn't he? Taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. He had access to all the pleasures of Egypt. And you know that Egypt in the Bible is a picture. Don't, don't steal my thunder. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. Moses had access. He had access to all the money, all the food, all the fleshly pleasures. He could have stuck around in Pharaoh's household and enjoyed the high life. But rather than do that, when God called him, he, he stood up and chose rather to suffer affliction than to have a few, year, a few good years with the pleasures of sin in Egypt. The first coupon I think you can redeem is the coupon of wickedness. If you'll give up on some of the pleasures of sin, you might just buy back a few days that you would otherwise lose. You might remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man ever, he said, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? You know what living a wicked life will get you? It, it'll, it'll help you burn through your days faster than you could imagine. Matter of fact, by the time you get to the end of whatever life you'll make for yourself, you'll look back and with nothing, you'll have nothing but regret and guilt and heartache. The Bible clearly tells us, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You know, living a wicked life, allowing your flesh to have all of its desires, indulging on anything your appetite so, so lusts after, you know what that's going to get you? You keep filling that up and filling that up and at the moment, right? In the moment, it feels good. The pleasures of sin. Doesn't it say sin has pleasure? Pleasure of sin for a season. You keep giving in to the lust and the desires of your flesh. You keep living what the Bible calls a riotous life. You might call it the party life. You keep giving in to that. And it might feel good for the moment. But be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. One of the dangers of going on vacation is we somehow think that eating a lot of sugary foods and desserts will not affect us. <laughs> you think I'm on vacation, I can have all the dessert I want, there should be no ill effects, right? As if that rule actually applies. <laughs> Did you know that after you eat four desserts in one day, you are going to feel bad? <laughs> and although it felt great while you were doing it, you're going to pay for that. There's pleasure in sin, but only for a season. Once that pleasurable season is over, once the season of sowing those pleasurable seeds is over, then the season of reaping comes in. Somebody's got to pay for that. Somebody's got to pay for that. The party life is not a healthy life. 
And I'm not just talking about spiritual things. I'm even your physical health, right? Somebody gives in to drinking and smoking and all their sexual pleasures and STDs come into... Those things are going to tear down your physical body. Those things are going to wear on you, not to mention, listen, to be filled with alcohol physically, the cirrhosis of the liver, all that stuff, to be filled with cigarette smoke. Have you ever seen a person's lungs after a life of smoking? That's, that's, that's a sad sight. You can be filled with the alcohol and filled with cigarettes and filled with drugs and filled with pornography. Did you know you can be a little too much filled with food? Did you know gluttony is a sin? You keep giving in to these appetites. And listen, I, I know we have certain sins in our mind that we like to go to. If somebody's wicked, that's the guy hanging out in the bars with the party life. But the guy that can't say no at the dinner table, he is not making the most of his time. He's hurting himself. He's cutting his life short. He's, not, he's, he's affecting the quality of his life. Folks, I want to see, I want the best for you. I don't want you to go through life hurting and in pain, whether that's spiritually or physically. Did you know the lies and the corruption and the gossip and the selfishness that you practice on a consistent basis? It's going to tear your body down. It's going to tear your spirit to pieces. You'll lay there at night, and instead of being able to sleep peacefully, you'll be wondering, who's going to find me out? Who's going to discover, discover what I've been doing? And the guilt will never let you go. I remember as a young man laying, I, of course I got into lots of trouble. I got saved when I was 20 years old, so I had a, plenty of sinful nights before that. I remember clearly one night coming home after doing some horrible things. I was under such conviction. I laid in my bed crying and praying. I had glow-in-the-dark rosary beads. For those of you that were Catholic, you know what that is. I had glow-in-the-dark rosary beads hanging on my wall so that in the dark of the night I could still pray and I laid there for three or four hours praying the rosary because I was under such pressure such guilt after all those prayers I didn't feel any better that's the toll that sin will take on you a wicked life is gonna cut your life short and and if it doesn't cut your life short as far as time is concerned it will affect the quality of your days and you won't be getting the most out of every minute I encourage you today, if you need to redeem this wicked coupon, come and cash it in and say, Lord, I'm going to hand over my wickedness. I'm done with that. I'd like a few extra quality days with you, with my fellow church members, with my wife, with my husband, with my kids, with my boss, with my employees. I, God, I, I want to make this a better life right now. I'll give you another coupon. Let's get to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Don't worry, having your best life now is not some prosperity gospel trick, right? Not every day is a Friday. You, you guys know the book, right? You, you've, see, you've seen Osteen's book, Have Your Best Life Today. That, that doesn't come by you just uh, repeating positive mantras and uh, tricking yourself into thinking, yeah, God's going to bless me no matter what I do. It comes by you actually repenting. Amen. It comes from you actually redeeming the wicked coupon and saying, I'm done with that. Now let me, let me get to a godly life. The second thing, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26. Here's the second coupon. 
Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Here's the second coupon I'd like for you to redeem today. Some of you might need to cash this one in. It, it, you, might, you might need to cash in the wicked coupon. Don't think that just because, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, if somebody's in church, you know, that means they don't do that wicked stuff. Oh, don't kid yourself. A lot of people come to church because they did that wicked stuff last night. And they, ooh, amen. And they, feel, and they feel bad about it, and they're trying to ease a guilty conscience today. Wow, that, that went over really well. Second coupon. You might need to redeem this, the coupon of wrath. There's some of you that maybe you've allowed your anger to carry on way beyond its acceptable limits. It's not a sin to be angry. Do you see that in the verse? Be angry and sin not. There's, there's a place for being angry. The Bible even tells us that God is capable of anger. Jesus, the Bible says in Mark 3, He was angry. There's a place for anger, but there's a right way to handle it. There's a, there's a statute of limitations, maybe we can say. The Bible says in verse 26, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Because you hang on to that grudge. You allow that bitterness to take root in your life. And it's going to start stealing minutes from you. And those minutes turn to hours and then days and then weeks of you sitting there. And even as I'm saying it right now, some of you, your minds went to that person you're bitter against. Why does he hate me? Why did she say that? That's, the person's calling you right now, wondering why you're so angry. <laughs> Still calling. <laughs> and you're, you're, you've been thinking all last night and all today, and you'll probably be thinking about it next week unless you cash in this coupon. Man, what, what can I say to make that person agree with me? What can I say to... What can I say to convince them that uh, I'm a great guy and that there's nothing wrong with me and that they're the problem? And, and why did they say that? And why would they feel that way? And I wonder what... It plagues your mind. It plagues your mind. Assumptions are a very dangerous thing. We can't live without assumptions. Everybody has assumptions, right? As I say this, you might be thinking, you're assuming I'm talking right to you. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. You're allowed to assume anything, but never act on assumption. Act on facts. Act on what God has revealed to you. That's what we call faith, right? And what God reveals to us is faith. But that, that is, that is a, a fact-based fact faith. Because if God says it, we believe that's the absolute truth. You need to act on what you know to be true. Don't act on your assumptions. If you think somebody's angry at you, before you assume that and start living in this pit of self-pity, go ask them. Get to the bottom of it. Say, brother, sister, it, 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 did I do anything? Anything that, that I can fix up? Is there something I need to apologize for? Are we okay? You need to understand that when you hold a grudge, you're not actually holding a grudge. The grudge is holding you. And you're not able to move on. Every free moment of your mind will be dedicated to the bitterness against that person. He said, but Brother Mike, you don't understand what happened to me. You don't know what that other person did. I have a right to be angry. All right, Jonah. You got enough? You need some more? Okay. I thought that was him calling for a refill. I wasn't sure. All right, Jonah. 
you might have a case. You remember the story of Jonah, yes? Boy, he hated those Ninevites. Stinking Ninevites. Do you know what the Ninevites did? They came and wiped Israel out. Brutally. What they did to the Israelites by no standard could be acceptable. Killing pregnant women. Ripping them from their navel to their, to their head. Horrible atrocities that the Ninevites did. And now God says, Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. You know what went through Jonah's head? I know the kind of God I have. I have one of those merciful, loving gods. And if I preach to the Ninevites, they might repent. And if they repent, this merciful, loving God is going to have mercy on them. And that's the last thing I want. I want God to punish those miserable sinners because that's what they deserve. All right, Jonah, what did that person do to you? Say, it was wrong. Amen, Jonah. It was wrong. What Nineveh did was wrong. Now, what does God want you to do? Go minister to him. Jonah said, I'd rather, I'd rather sleep with the fishes. <laughs> I, that's better when you say, I think you need to sleep with the fishes. You know, Godfather type thing. <laughs> he says, I, forget this, I'm going to Tarshish. And off he went, the complete opposite direction of Nineveh, trying to get as far away from dealing with the problem. You see, he thought he was running away from his anger. He thought he could hold the grudge, but the grudge was holding him. He gets in the boat, and you know what happens. Eventually the storm rises, and God prepared a great fish, and the whale swallowed him and spits him out there on the shore. And he, he heads into Nineveh. He finally says, okay, fine, I'll preach. Because who wants to go back into the whale, right? That was pretty bad. So he goes into Nineveh. He steps into Nineveh, and he says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Done. That was the whole sermon. You know what that is? That is, that is not making the most of every minute. <laughs> Here's a chance to minister to an entire nation, and he is going to do as little with that opportunity as he possibly could. He says, I, God told me to preach to them. God told me to warn them of impending danger. So I will, but that's it. I'm not going to explain anything. I'm not going to answer any Bible questions. I'm not going to pass out on any tracts. I won't sing just as I am. No altar calls. Listen, you're all going to die. Bye-bye. <laughs> Forty days. Click, click, click. Counting. <laughs> off you go. That's it. And he walked off. And if you're Jonah, you're thinking there. Now I've, I've, I did what God told me to do. The rest is on them. Hope you perish. You got some people in your life, you'd rather see them just die. You don't want to see them repent. You'd rather them get destroyed. There's a good chance that you're wasting time with wrath. You're hanging on to it, so you think. It's hanging on to you. <laughs> Eight-word sermon. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words, and the entire nation repented. Nineveh repented so much that the dogs repented. The dogs repented. They had dogs wearing sackcloth and ashes. I kid you not. You read it. 
Jonah chapter 3. That's real revival. When your dog gets saved, right? That's revival. Praise the Lord. (laughs) You know what Jonah did? He went out, sucking that thumb, angry. He was upset. He said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. This merciful God of mine. One of the Ninevites destroyed, and now they're all finding mercy. Here's God's question. Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? What a question. A little later, God brings a gourd over Jonah's hot head. You know he was hot-headed, right? Brings a gourd over that hot head of his. And then God brings a worm and destroys that gourd, and now the, 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 the hot sun's beating down on his hot head again. And I'm assuming he's bald by this point. Do you know where I get that? He was in the belly of the whale, the stomach acid, no hair. He still has to have some blisters from that experience. And now the sun's beating down on him. He is frustrated. He's in a bad mood. And, God's, and, and he's angry because the gourd is gone. And, and God asked him again, <clears throat> Jonah, doest thou well to be... God had to ask him twice, doest thou well to be angry? You know what Jonah's answer was? Yes. <laughs> I, I do well to be angry even unto death. I'm going to hate these people till I die. What kind of life is that? You think Jonah enjoyed life after that? Everywhere he went, holding a grudge? The Bible says, let no man fail of the grace of God. Don't let the root of bitterness get down in you because when it springs up, it defiles many. Gentlemen, please do not answer this out loud. Ladies, try not to react. How many times has a man had a bad day at work, come home and took it out on his wife? How many times has a man had a bad day at work, came home and shouted at the kids, even though those little angels did nothing that day? <laughs> you, might, you, might want just, you might want to take this coupon of wrath and redeem it and say, God, I'd like, to, I'd like to get back some of those lost days, weeks, months, years. How many times have you finally gone to somebody to what we call bury the hatchet? Do we know that expression? Bury the hatchet? It's an American. This is actually an American expression. It comes from the, the Iroquois Indians. You know, they went around with a hatchet, and anybody they hated, they would scalp them. They'd take their hatchet, and off with the scalp. And whenever they made peace with another tribe, they would take their hatchets and bury them in the ground to say, no more, we're not going to attack you anymore. We're done with this. Some of you need to take your anger and bury it. Bury it in the blood of Jesus Christ and say, I am going to be as, as godly as I know how to be. I am going to be ready to forgive. Yeah? Ready to forgive. I know this person's done you wrong. God knows that you've done him wrong and God's ready today to forgive you. God would love it if you came and approached him and said, God, what's standing in between you and me? Can we make it right? I don't want to go on with any, any more bitterness. I want to get this thing right. How many times after, after months or years of estrangement, you finally talk with somebody, you make up, you hug, 
You say, man, I wish we would have talked about this years ago. They lost a lot of time. You need to redeem the time. Redeem the time. One more coupon I'd like to give you. Matthew chapter 6. Would you look at that with me, please? Matthew 6. I hope you realize how this fits as well with what we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. I don't care which relationship you're dealing with, whether it's God, church members, marriage, family, work, friends, whatever the relationship, you get rid of the wickedness, you get rid of the wrath, all those relationships get better. And then you start to make the most, you get to enjoy all of those people more. Check this out. You might actually enjoy going to work more if you didn't show up with a bad attitude every day. Hey, I'm not just talking to employees, bosses, you as well. We have a few in here. Make the workplace a nice place to come to. It doesn't need to be wrath. Make that work environment a biblical work environment. In Matthew chapter 6, this is a strong one. Verse number 20, uh, I'm sorry, 34. Matthew 6 and verse 34, my last coupon. I might hang on to this coupon myself here. Matthew 6 and verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Doesn't that sound like the evil day Paul talked about? The days are evil? He says you got enough, Jesus said you have enough problems going on today. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Worry about the fiery darts that the wicked one is throwing at you today. You don't need to waste any time worrying about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So this coupon is the coupon of worry. Get rid of the wickedness. Get rid of the wrath. Get rid of the worry. Guys, I don't know what it is about us. And I say this, man, I'm going to put myself at the head of the line. I'm a horrible worrier. I'm no good at this. But if there's one thing that I'm really working on is to obey Jesus when he said, take no thought for the morrow. Now when he said, take no thought, I've heard people twist this in some strange ways and they try to say that Jesus is against making plans for the future. Oh, come on. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place and I'll come again. He made a plan. He's not against future plans, amen. Jesus said, be ready, I'm coming back. So they're not against planning. Jesus speaks about working, he speaks about farming, he speaks about being prepared. Never does Jesus promote worrying. Can you make a plan for tomorrow? Yes. But does it do you any good to get anxious, worried, and panicked about it? Absolutely not. And I realize the way I'm built, the way many of you are built, this is a very difficult thing to just quit cold turkey. But if you could hand in this coupon and say, Lord, I spend a lot of my time just sitting there being afraid of what's going to happen. And 99% of the time, the thing I'm afraid of doesn't even happen. And I find out I wasted all that time worrying. I'd like to get some of my time back. God, I'm going to cash this in and enjoy, I'll enjoy the day. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us, do, let us do what? Let us rejoice and be 
glad in it. I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to make the most of every minute of this day. Why? Because I'm alive today. I'm not alive tomorrow. No one's alive tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Take no thought for it. Why? It doesn't exist. It's a figment of our imagination. It's an illusion of time. You say, no, 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 Brother Mike, that's not true. There is tomorrow. Oh, yeah? When you wake up, what will you call it? Today. <laughs> it's the proverbial carrot in front of the donkey. <laughs> you need biblical proof? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. No tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. <laughs> say, I'm going to live like there's no tomorrow. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done Jesus in Matthew 6 he goes on to use various illustrations starting in verse 25 take no thought for your life what you shall eat what you shall drink or yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment yes what's he mean there's more to life what do you mean, Lord? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, how about that relationship with God? How about spending some time concentrating on that today? How about that husband, that wife that God has blessed you with? How about spending some time loving on that person today? How about telling them just how great they are? How about you spend a little extra time with your kids? Tomorrow while you're at work, make the most of it. Do a really good job. Really good job. Even the boss will say, what happened to you? Making the most of every minute. I want you to get the most out of me while I'm here at work. Why? Jesus said so. It's the will of the Lord. Who knows? The next minute you might get a raise and you'll get more out of that minute. <laughs> I'm making the most of every minute in your life. <laughs> There, there's more to life than just meat and, and raiment. Do we need to tend to those things? Yes. Do we need to worry about them? No. He talks about the fowls of the air in verse 26. He talks in verse 27 about growing, thinking about it. It's not going to make it happen. He, in verse 29, uh, 28 and 29, he talks about the lilies of the field and how they grow. I've never seen a bird get worried. I have seen them get fed. Never seen a worried bird. I've seen a fed bird, but not a worried bird. Why? Well, I don't know if he's consciously thinking of, the, of this. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a bird brain, but, but, <laughs> but, what good would it do? It's not going to make the food appear. Make a plan? Yes. Work today so I can eat for the next week? Yeah, that makes sense, but, but, Wringing my hands in fear is not going to help. Can I give you just a few interesting statements about this? Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Corey Tin Boom said that. If I remember correctly, she was a Jewish lady that had converted and was stuck there in, in Auschwitz, yeah? Dutch, sorry. But affected by... The German invasion. I think that adds a little more credence to that statement. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Another person said, fear is pain arising from the anticipation of evil. If you're like me, I'm always anticipating something's going to go wrong. Did you know that never helps it go better? 
It doesn't. I told Christina last night, we were laying in bed and getting ready to go to sleep, and, and as, if, as if I had this wonderfully illuminated thought, I said, honey, you know, I think I've spent too much time worrying about what could go wrong. I'm just going to start enjoying the blessings that God's giving. She, she said, oh. <laughs> as if finally he got it. <laughs> it's been painfully obvious to her all these years. I know she's told me that. I just didn't register that. Another person said, the greatest mistake in life is constantly being afraid that you'll make one. Interesting. Interesting. I'll give you one more. There is nothing that wastes the body like worry. And one who has any faith in God should be ashamed to worry about anything whatsoever. Guess which preacher said that? Anybody got a guess? Which preacher said that? It wouldn't it be nice if a preacher said that? Gandhi said that. Mahatma Gandhi said that. But it was Gandhi actually went out, I, I'm fairly certain you know this, but he went out looking to see if there was anything behind the Christian God. And when he saw how Christians behaved, he came to the conclusion that our God was no better than the others. And this was part of it. If we claim to have the God that we do, there's really no excuse for worrying. That's a tough one. That's a tough coupon to redeem, isn't it? But I think a very necessary one. I can remember some years ago, getting ready to leave Malawi. I had to fly out on a furlough. Our family was going. The Malawian government had lost my paperwork for my visa. I was 10 months overdue. My visa had expired 10 months before. So now I'm illegally in the country. Now, I'll just let you in on this little tidbit of truth about myself. I, there's certain phobias I have. One of them is the Malawian police. <laughs> Deathly afraid of the Malawian police. Heard too many stories. I just assumed the anticipation of evil. I figured they will arrest me for something that I didn't do. Very unreasonable fear, but that's what I had. And I knew, oh man, the night before going to the airport, when I go through the immigration station there, they are going to see that my visa has expired, I'm going to be arrested, I'll never see my family again, I could not sleep the entire night. I was so worried. The next morning I got out of bed, I didn't wake up, I got out of bed and took a shower and oh man, now, and I drove, we're driving to the airport, I'm physically sweating, I'm nervous, I'm shaking, and I'm just a wreck. And we check in at the counter and we get our boarding passes and there's in the Malawian at the uh, Longway Airport, you have to go up some stairs to the immigration area. And I get to the desk and my, my heart... I had even called another missionary and said, listen, can you just be on standby in case they arrest me? I need somebody to come pick my family up, please. <laughs> I am freaking out. <laughs> I'm at the desk. Monsieur Pepas. I hand him my papers. Yes, overdue, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They, they lost the papers at the, at the head office. Oh, yeah, it happens. <laughs> Done. <laughs> that was it. I lost an entire night of sleep. I had a horrible flight after that. 
Because after you're that stressed for that long, it takes time for the body, you know, to unwind and everything, and my mind to stop. I felt so stupid walking past the... Really? I am determined by the grace of God to get more out of each minute of my life by not worrying. Guys, I don't know with I don't know which coupon you need. I don't know which one, but please, please, would you take advantage this morning of one of these coupons? Would you cash one or all three of them in and make more out of every minute of your life? Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Caleb will play something quietly. I want to give you a chance to pray about this. Say, Brother Mike, I'm worried about what's going to happen when I die. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm not asking you to worry about it. I'm asking you to prepare for it. See? Prepare for it. If you're worried about where you're going to go, you can come today and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's one less thing you have to worry about. He'll come into your heart, save your soul, wash all your sins away, He'll begin to change you and before you know it, the wicked coupon will be cashed in. You'll start making the more out of each, making more out of each day. Pretty soon you'll be able to forgive those people that did you wrong. Cash in the wrathful coupon. Make more out of those relationships. And as you exercise your faith in God and watch Him fulfill His promises, you'll see that the worrying doesn't help. Caleb, if you can play something quietly, please. Not working. Connie, do you mind? Could you come this direction? Just, I just want to give you guys just a couple minutes. It will not take long. Connie will play something quietly. Which coupon do you need this morning? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. There are going to be plenty of things happen in life that you have no control over. Things are going to waste your time. Nothing you can do about it. It's just life. So that means when you are in control of your time, you better make the most of it. Redeeming the time. Before I close in prayer, can I just ask if if anyone's here not saved, would you be willing to just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Say, Brother Mike, pray for me. I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going to go when I die. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Anybody like that? Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the honesty. Thank you. If you'd like to get that settled after we're done today, Please feel free. Come find me. Find, you can find one of our ushers. Somebody will help you. Show you exactly how you can be sure you're on your way to heaven. Father, thank you for ministering to our hearts, for giving us a purpose in life. And Lord, not... I know these days are evil and problems happen, but Lord... The, 
you being in our lives, the, the people you've put in our lives, the, the church you've put in our lives, God. Thank you so much for, for this life. Lord, it's so sweet to get to spend quality time with you, to spend quality time with others. Help us, God, to make the most out of every minute. And Lord, for those hands that went up today, please, please, save those soul, souls today, God. May they not spend one more minute without Jesus Christ in their heart. Father, please, bring us back safely tonight. We desire to learn more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.